Welcome to Strength for the Journey from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau. If you've ever felt alone, not part of the group, shunned for some reason, today's sermon is for you. The woman at the well certainly felt that way. She has an encounter with Jesus, though, that changes everything. First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun explains with the sermon, The Moment of Lift. Now with today's scripture reading, here's Michelle Gorman. Our reading today is from the Gospel of John, in the fourth chapter, beginning with verse four. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a sound to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, And the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And now we skip moving to verse 23, where Jesus says, Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? 
they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have bought him food? This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So this is part two in our summer series of Women in the Bible, where we will see both grace and grit. And this is one of my favorite stories uh, because it has it all. It has humor, it has pathos, poignancy, hope, complexity, simplicity, transformation, and of course, Jesus. So speaking about women, by the way, I'm reading a book by Melinda Gates entitled The Moment of Life, or uh, The Moment of Lift. Does anybody uh, reading that? Okay, just me. So um, I'm around chapter six now, and uh, in this book, uh, I really like it. She uh, she describes as a child her fascination with rocket launches at Cape Canaveral uh, in Florida. And uh, she writes that the most exciting time for her was during the countdown, when the announcer would be saying, like, T minus 25 seconds, 20 seconds, 10, 9, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and suddenly the ignition is turned on and the rocket takes off from the launching pad with great fire and fury and power. This is the moment of lift, when the rocket takes off for the stratosphere. And in her book, she speaks about how we need to give women around the world, that moment of lift, when their lives are transformed into good through education or birth control or economic opportunity, physical protection, and to stop a lot of the cultural abuse against women and girls. In fact, she even quotes scripture several times. The fact is there is tremendous bias and prejudice and abuse against women around the world in a multitude of ways. And her point is when you lift up women, you lift up humanity. So, so know that our church's um, global and local impact department, when it comes to laser, foking, uh, laser focusing on, on um, our help, uh, we don't want to be a mile wide and an inch deep. We actually decided years ago that we'd focus our mission money and time on women and children to give them that moment of lift when fighting sex trafficking or sexual physical abuse or providing educational or ep- economic opportunity like we do through Compassion International. So why do we focus on women and children? Well, our model is Jesus, and this story will show why. So let's delve into our passage for today. You'll remember in the passage it said it's high noon when this begins. Jesus is tired. Yes, Jesus has human feelings. He's tired from walking a great distance. He stops at a well in Sychar, uh, Samaria. Jesus is a Jew, and Jews don't normally hang out. Uh, in Samaria. Samaritans don't like Jews. They are enemies. The Jews see the Samaritans as racially inferior and heretics because the Jews believe the Samaritans have combined the Jewish faith with paganism. And the Samaritans actually built their own temple on a place called Mount Gerizim, and they believe it was the true temple of God, but lo and behold, the Jews destroyed it. So you can see why there's bad blood. I mean, imagine if somebody came and destroyed your Notre Dame Cathedral. And so one can see why they didn't get along. So that's the historical context when this drama arises. So back to the story. The disciples have left Jesus at the well because he's tired. And the passage says they're going into town to find food like McDonald's or something. It's probably going to be fast food because they're not going to cook. And uh, so maybe they're looking for a, a lamb falafel or 
hero lunch wagon. Uh, they're Jewish, so definitely not ham and cheese. So Jesus is sitting there by the well, cooling his jets, when a Samaritan woman at high noon comes by to draw, draw water. And the fact that it's high noon, the gospel writer John really wants to make it a point because it makes the story even more interesting, more intriguing, because no woman goes to a well at high noon because it's the hottest time of the day. Too hot to draw water from a deep well, then fill up your jar, then put it on your shoulder or your head, and walk back to your house in the hot, hot sun. So why would this woman go to the well at the hottest time of day? Well, it's because she knows no one's going to be there. She's an outcast. No one likes her. The other women don't want to hang around with her. So perhaps showing true grit, she's saying, okay, you don't want to be near me? Fine, I'm going to go to the well at the hottest time, and I can do this by myself. I don't need you guys. So why are the other women being like mean girls and reject her? We get a hint. Here it comes. When Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink, the woman with true grit points out to Jesus that, look, hey, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Maybe you flunked your Hebrew school. You didn't know that. But Jews and Samaritans don't talk to each other. And you guys look down on us. Plus, in case, like, you're super culturally insensitive, men are, uh, who are strangers in our culture don't talk to women. Because back then, women were held in very low esteem. They had few rights. And so you could never start a conversation with an unknown man or vice versa. But here again, against all tradition and against all culture, Jesus, a Jew, talks to a Samaritan woman. And throughout the gospel, time and time again, it is Jesus who gives women that moment of lift and changes their lives. And he talks to them, listens to them, heals them, has them to be his disciples, has them to be the first one to proclaim the resurrection. The first prayer meeting on Paul's journey in Philippi in Greece are all women. And one of them is Lydia, the seller of purple, who has her whole house converted, and she converts. So now in the Gospel of John, we see what the first moment of lift. Jesus asks her for a drink. Interesting. And she shoots back, how can you ask me for a drink? You're a Jewish man. And then Jesus replies in like the crux of the passage, hey, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep, so where can you get this living water? So like all these metaphors. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, whoa, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then Jesus says, go call your husband and come back. And you're looking at this like, wait, 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 try wait, try wait. At this point, like, what just happened there? Like, is Jesus ADHD or what? I mean, she says, give me this living water. And he says, oh, okay, go call your husband. Like, it's a total non sequitur. Like, what the heck? Jesus, can you, like, stay focused? She's talking about living water. And then, like, like you want to talk about her husband? But why is Jesus... 
loving, kind, tender, super smart Jesus, knows what he's doing. He nails it right then on why she is not liked and, and why she's putting her love in the wrong places and why she needs to fall in love with Jesus as the Messiah first. And all of that, all of that came in that one statement, go call your husband and come back. So the moment of lift is about to happen. She says, uh, like, uh, I don't have a husband, you know? And Jesus says, right on. In fact, you have had five husbands and you're living with a man who is not your husband. And she goes, whoa, ouch. Like, I can see you're a prophet. Now, let's stop right there. Why does the Bible... Why does Jesus not want us to have sex outside of marriage? Is he just a prude? Is he mean because sex is fun and he doesn't want us to have it as single? The Bible's trying to say something really important when it comes to marriage and sex. As Tim Keller says, first, if you have sex outside of marriage, you've given your body but not your whole self. You've given some of your emotions, but not your whole self. You haven't given yourself unconditionally and exclusively and permanently to the person. You've given part of yourself, but not your whole self. And then second, Jesus is saying, you know, I don't work that way. Jesus never gives intimacy without complete and total commitment. There's no half way for the way he gives himself for us. End of quote. Now Keller would add that Jesus is drilling down to the point that the answer to the universe's question is we must see Jesus as the one true love of our hearts. True love. Jesus offers us true love. Now, have you watched the movie Princess Bride? Who has watched Princess Bride? Phenomenal. Okay, and if you haven't, it's a must-see. Now, one of the characters in the movie is a man called Inigo Montoya, who is known for the quote. Do you know the quote? My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Incredible. Holy crud. Wow. Now, but you may not know this because one of his more profound quotes is this. True love, you could not ask for a more noble cause than that. And then another character in the movie named Miracle Max, played by Billy Crystal, said, true love is the greatest thing in the world. So, but better, better than Princess Bride, Jesus Christ, who is real, is saying, he, yes, he is our true love. He is the one we've been looking for all of our lives. And when we understand that, we will see that he, unlike earthly water, where we will thirst again and again and again, that Jesus is the true love like living water who quenches our deepest need, our deepest thirst, or I love it how the paraphrase comes from the message book that says, anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. Isn't that great? Now, it's then that Jesus tells the Samaritan woman, dun-dun, he says, I am he, 
I am the Messiah, and you don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Now you notice he's repeating that famous phrase we've talked about before, I am that I am, the only, that only God uses to reveal his name. He always says, I am. You wanna know my name? I am. And just then, with great timing, the disciples come back with food, the crazy disciples. And they probably got like filet of fish sandwiches or fish and chips, you know, the natural choice, I think, for fishermen, maybe poke bowl. And then they're like, ah, they're stopped in their tracks, like they're watching, they're stunned to see Jesus, a Jewish man speaking to a Samaritan woman. Now, being respectful, they didn't want to criticize their master, so they just say to Jesus, uh, you want to eat something? We got french fries. And Jesus says this, and this is a quote. Well, first part, it's not a quote. He says, no need, and here comes a quote. He says, I have food to eat you know nothing about. Oh, heavy, huh? But that's where the humor comes in, and I just want to laugh because the disciples are puzzled, and they ask this in the scripture, who could have brought him food? Like, did you bring him food? I didn't bring food. Did you bring him food? You think he went for Chinese without us? He didn't tell us? Like, what happened there? So Jesus replies, telling them, all right, get this straight, you guys. In the scripture, it says, the f- it's something that the food that keeps him going, that keeps him going is to do the will of God. And they kind of think, oh, yeah, we knew that. Yeah, yeah. So meanwhile, the woman runs off so excited that she leaves her water jar at the well. Funny that John would mention that. And she runs into town and says, Jesus told me everything I ever did. And she must have added, like, he said he's the Messiah because then a whole crowd of Samaritans from that town came and believed in him, as it says in the Bible, because of the woman's testimony. Amazing. They liked him so much They asked him, a Jewish man, to stay in their Samaritan home for two days. So look at that. The popularity of the woman now must have been a moment of lift for her. her. She found her true love in Jesus. And actually, I would say, when you really know that Jesus is your true love, it will make your friendships or marriages or business relationships or school situations better Because without knowing that Jesus truly loves you and believes in you and forgives you, you're going to try and find that kind of ideal, unrealistic affirmation in your friendships or your marriages or parenting or jobs or school, and it won't be the same. It won't be enough. It's just going to be like tap water, not the living water that gives you meaning. But when you have Jesus as your true love and the basis of your sense of security and self-esteem, you can love more unconditionally in your friendships, in your marriages, in your work relationships, or in school. So let me close with two quick points. The woman showed true grit in coming to the well by herself and also talking to Jesus, not getting defensive when Jesus probed in her life, pointed out some of her failings, and then showing true grit again as one of the very first evangelists who brought Jesus to her town. So it's a gut check for us all. This is what I'm leading up to. In response to her knowing Jesus, she told and brought many women and children to Christ. So here's my first challenge. If we really think about it, how many have we brought to Christ in the last few years? I mean, if he's really your best friend, if you know this could mean eternal life for some people, if you know it could save people from hell, have we shared our faith with others? 
Now, the evangelists in the Gospels, you notice, are not pastors. They're lay people, fishermen, tax collectors, city and county workers, whatever. What if our church had a goal that every person here would try to bring one person to Christ, just one, in the next year? You know, this beautiful campus could hold, if every, hold it if everybody brought one. We could double. We could handle it. We're going to have a satellite church come January or so. Satellite campus. We can hold it. Now, it doesn't mean you have to freak out. I mean, it could just be talking to our friends about Jesus over coffee or in some relaxed fashion. Um, you know, we might think, ah, I don't know what to say. But then we have this process where you can bring them to events where other people do the saying for you, like Alpha, or like Just Show Up, uh, later on like Rooted, or a worship service could be part of the journey. Being with friends in a natural conversation about faith at the beach, at a barbecue, at a tailgate, kids' soccer game can be part of the journey. So what would prevent us from doing that? Well, to be honest, I think for some people, it's fear. Fear of what people might say. Um, but yet, think of what that Samaritan woman, an outcast, said to the town people. And, and may I remind you, if anyone would have fear about sharing about Jesus, it would have been her, right? The town people already hated her, so she had no credibility. She, they may have thought she was a floozy or like a sexual, had a sexual addiction or was a husband stealer. I mean, you can let your imagination run why she's at the well at noon by herself. But somehow, in spite of all of that, she proclaimed in some real authentic way, thankful way, that Jesus is real, you know? He is the Messiah. He is true love. She showed true grit. She didn't care what people may have said about her, for her self-esteem was now in Jesus. And she must have said it in a nice, kind way so as it didn't offend people. You know, remember months ago I, I told you about the woman who was not a churchgoer? She came to our Christmas Eve Eve service on December 23rd, D doesn't go to church, came with a tremendously painful knee because one of our people invited her. She, she said she hobbled in, that was her word, kind of limped in. She was in so much pain. And during the service, you know, I always end Christmas Eve with a mass healing prayer. And by God's grace, she got healed instantly. And she ran out to her car afterwards. She had to run because it was raining that night. And then she realized that she was ready. Oh my goodness, I'm completely healed. So the next night, December 24, she invited her husband and her two grown-up daughters who, are, who don't go to church to come and hear about this Jesus who heals and loves us. And basically, sharing our faith is just saying, come and see, come and see, like that Matt Redman, Chris Donlin song, come and see, and hear about this man who is really the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who loves and heals and offers us living water. For the story of our Messiah is that Jesus died on a cross and he gave his life for us so that our sins might not hinder us from ever knowing the Heavenly Father. He's our true love, the true sacrifice for our best. And the Samaritans in our Bible say to the woman at the end, I love this, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And that's why like Alpha is so important. When people go there, they're here for themselves. Like, oh my goodness, he's real.
Okay, now here's the second point. So, you become a Christian, and here's the challenge. Seek more and more the filling and the power of the Holy Spirit. And this passage is about that. You might have missed it. Now, for many, I understand the Holy Spirit is kind of the anonymous one of the Trinity. Like, oh, we got God the Father, we got Jesus the Son, but uh, what's the Holy Spirit? Now, the Holy Spirit is personal. You'll notice in Scripture it's always a he, not a it, not this cosmic force, divine, part of the Trinity. Now, look at verse 23 in case we missed it. Jesus said, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. And they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Got that? God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So it's one thing to worship on key. It's nice to worship in unison. But he's saying worship in the spirit. Now notice how it is capitalized in the last verse, spirit. Not just human spirit, Holy Spirit. Not just your human effort, Holy Spirit. Worship in the Spirit. Live in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the problem with many Christians is that their faith is not based on living in the Holy Spirit. And that's why sometimes as Christians we feel we don't have any power and we, don't, we feel there's something more. We're missing something. It's because we missed out on the Holy Spirit part. And some of us, if I can make this example, we live more like in the Last Supper than in Pentecost. So let me explain that. The Last Supper, remember, it's kind of a happy time with Jesus. They're eating lamb, they're drinking wine. The Apostle John puts his head on Jesus' chest. And we think that's what the face is all about, like me and Jesus hanging out, reclining, eating, talking story, everything's cool. They even end the meal, it says in Scripture, going out singing. I mean, is that ideal or what? Food, fun, fellowship, singing, hanging out with Jesus. So that's what the Christian life is all about. No problem, I can do that. I can be a follower of Jesus. No sacrifice. But Jesus said, you must worship in the Spirit. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the disciples at that point at the Last Supper, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have his power. And how do we know that? Because boom, right after that meeting, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and these temple guards come, and they arrest Jesus. And the disciples go chicken. They have no power. They have no strength. They have no courage. And just a memory of good mealtimes and feeling good. And they run, scattering, run for your lives. And all the promises of like, we would die for you, Jesus, like evaporated into thin air. And one betrayed Jesus for money right another betrayed Jesus at least three times one ran away naked when the temple police grabbed his robe why he left them in the dirt with his tear away shirt no time to flirt because if he stays it's gonna get hurt he didn't want to be arrested and have it contested and then be vested in a rap sheet And for us, we can think that Christian life is all about the rap and the fun and the fellowship and the worship. And then when trouble hits, when depression descends on us, when when pain pummels us, when loneliness lingers on upon us, we say, why me, Lord? Why me? Well, I didn't know this was part of the Christian life. And how we want to run back to the fun dinner with Jesus and put our head on his chest. 
So where's our spiritual stamina? Where's our strength and our power and endurance and the wisdom of what we're supposed to do? Because what if a lot of our calendar is nothing what Jesus wanted us to do and we're getting all stressed out and stuff he didn't want us to do anyway? So that's the time we put our faith more on Pentecost than on the fellowship of the Last Supper. So in the book of Acts, in the Bible, Pentecost, is that event when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and suddenly the followers of Jesus had the power to heal. They also had the power to speak in tongues and communicate about Jesus with more eloquence and wisdom. They could do miracles. They had supernatural gifts of wisdom and discernment and healing and even prophetic words where they could strengthen, encourage, and comfort people. They had courage now in ways they never had before. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that we need that strengthens us and leads us and is available to everyone, everyone in this room who commits your life to Christ. So when we feel our spirits are low, we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do good in the world, but maybe just be doing good is not what Jesus wants, nor by his power, and then we burn out doing good, and that's not the deal. There's a lot of pressure and stress in life if you're not living in the power of the Spirit. You know, if you look, um, I'm just going to go really quickly over some verses, but if you can go to Romans 15, here's what Paul writes. And you hear this, pop, this, this continual um, theme of what Paul's saying. Romans 15, 13 says this, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. We want joy and peace. Then you will overflow with confidence Hope through what? The power of the Holy Spirit. Next verse, 1 Corinthians 2, 4. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1, 14. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. And then June, June 20. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. This Samaritan woman learned of the power of the Holy Spirit and she learned that Jesus is the real Messiah. As Keller once said, every other religion has a founder who says, I'm here to show you how to find God, but only, but only Christianity was founded by a man who said, no, I'm God, come to find you. Super important. So, let me close this out and land. The story is not actually about a Samaritan woman. It's about us, isn't it? We are in so many ways that woman. And God has come to find us here in this room, at this moment, not at a well, and maybe we've not had five spouses or maybe we're not living with someone who's not our spouse, but we are the Samaritan woman who was trying to find true love in one relationship after another or in a project, maybe, or a title. And today we can discover that maybe we've been looking at the wrong places. And maybe, like the Samaritan woman, in another way, we have felt ostracized or rejected or isolated, misunderstood by some people or a person. Maybe we feel we're of little worth or we may have felt desperate and maybe last night 
Maybe someone here last night prayed, please, God, if you're real, have the preacher on stage say something about me. And if you're real, make that happen. Or maybe some of you have felt, you know, I've been a Christian, but it's just not as fulfilling as I thought. Maybe I don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. So now comes the moment of lift. I'm going to ask for two things. Number one, if there's some here who just want to receive the power, the filling of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you in a moment to just stand up where you are. But I'm not going to embarrass you. Just stand up where you are. And I'm going to say a short prayer over you. And I'm also going to ask if there are people near you, if they could just ask your permission to just put a hand on your shoulder and pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to say anything. People praying, just let the Holy Spirit do the filling and the ministering. Okay? And then I'm going to ask, while that is all happening, if anyone wants to accept Christ and maybe it's finally all coming together so this is what it means to be a Christian he can be the true love I've been looking for and the purpose and the wisdom I'm looking forward of towards I'm going to ask you while all this is happening to come down here and I will want to pray for you and there will be other staff here if there are more than one people person here and we just want to pray for you and, and kind of like seal it with the Lord so first thing, uh, before I say this, you know, I told you when Pam and I go to around the world or the country and we go to different con conferences, even though we're, we're like really super into ministry, if ever a speaker says, anybody want more filling of the Holy Spirit? Like, or want prayer? Like, we are there. We could be up at the balcony. We will go down <laughs> and, and get that. Because it's not like filling up a car of gas and then like that's it, topped it off. It's more like a balloon that, that more and more of the Holy Spirit. You just want more. And to be honest, sometimes we leak. And it's like, and we just need more Holy Spirit in our lives. We're getting more impatient and we're getting more fearful and worried. And the Holy Spirit gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If anyone wants more filling of the Holy Spirit, let's start there. Could you just please stand now? I know it's bold, but it's saying, Jesus, I'm serious about this, man. I, I want this. I don't want to do everything in my human power. Like, I can do things. Like, I'm kind of smart. I can figure things out. But I want the Holy Spirit. Okay. Praise God for you all. Now, can... Can there be other people around them who can go up and pray for them and just put a hand on them um, and ask for permission, but a, a, a put a hand on that person? There's so many here. We may have more people standing than we have people <laughs> in the congregation. So if somebody doesn't get to you, I'm going to pray for you up here, okay? But if you could get to somebody, you know, um, that'd be great. I don't think this has ever happened before. More people have stood up than the people who are sitting. <laughs> Okay, here we go. I'm going to pray for you all. Lord, these people are so faithful and they're so desiring to learn more about you and want more of you. And they want to know more of you as their true love. And they want the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come and fall upon all these people here. Just flow into them now like a gentle stream flowing through them from the top of their heads to the bottom of their feet flowing through them and in them and fill them up with your Holy Spirit.
May they feel your presence and your love and your kindness, your tender touch. Now, Lord, while they continue to stand there and just receive from you, I'm going to ask the worship band to come up. And if anyone wants to commit their life to Christ or recommit their life to Christ, rededicate it. If you could come down here in the middle as everybody's standing and, and singing, and I just want to pray for you, and some of the staff will want to pray for you privately and just kind of seal that with you. Okay? So we're going to sing. Um, I think it's I Will Rise, right? That we want to just rise to this occasion, rise to the Lord. Maybe rise out of your seat and come forward. And, um, and those who want to come forward for a special prayer of dedication or rededication, please do so. And all of you, as continue to receive the prayers of the people near you as the Holy Spirit is filling you. And just before I give the final benediction, I, I want to say that if there are others of you who have other issues of prayer, for physical, spiritual, emotional, um, we would love to pray with you. And the prayer team will be in front of the cross and in front of the choir risers here. And also, Pastor Steve's here, and I'll be here, and my wife Pam is here, and, and others. And we would also love to pray with you, too, because we realize so many people stood up that if you want some more prayer, we would love to kind of seal that in the Holy Spirit. But now, please stand and receive this uh, final blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you and his grace be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you all. No matter who we are or where we are in life or what society might say about us, Jesus sees you and he loves you. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Prayers website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the brand new First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. If you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. Strength for the Journey is copyright 2019 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.